In today's episode, we invited Yona Carter, Consumer Insight Consultant, to talk about changes in shoppers' buying habits using behavioral science. Louis, Adam and Yona will cover the emergence of the digital customer experience and power of social proof during the COVID-19 pandemic. This episode had been recorded in early December, right before Louis took a break from the podcast to focus on his studies. No panic, he will be back before you can say the name of his dissertation, which hopefully he knows by now. <laughs> Just joking. Enjoy the episode and let us know what you think. Hello again, guys. Welcome back to Customer Experience Insider. Today, I've got a wonderful guest called Jana Carter. How are you doing, Jana? I'm fine, thank you, Louis. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. Uh, we're also joined by Adam. Hey, Louis. How's life, Adam? Hey, Louis. Hey, Jana. How are you doing? I'm okay, thanks. You well, too? Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to Christmas. Yes, our, our jolly little Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it will be a little one. Won't it? It's not like we can have big parties. Exactly. Yeah, it's definitely changed. Boris's uh, announcement has definitely changed everyone's plans a little bit. Mm, I bet he's on everyone's um, naughty list at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely it's definitely interesting seeing how everyone is adapting businesses and even um, independent people. I've wanted to ask you, Jana. So you took the you took the plunge and left full time employment after thirty years mm -hmm. as a professional researcher. And you formed Tracer Insights. Now you must have, you must be used to working from home by now. Maybe maybe give us a bit of background on Tracer's history and how it's been for you with COVID. Well, actually, you know, I've been working at home for the last fifteen, sixteen years because, um, yeah, I've been a research professional throughout my whole professional life. I started off immediately after university. Um, I did a degree in psychology and went into mainstream market research agencies, moved to London at that point back in the early 90s, ended up as the global lead for channel management business practice at Research International, which was one of the bigger multinational agencies of its time, which has since disappeared because it got gobbled up by somebody bigger. And then I spent a brilliant 13 years as a director of a small boutique shopper agency called Shoppercentric, who are still going, but that changed hands in terms of ownership in 2018. And having been there for 13 years, I kind of thought, well, do you know what? Um, we'd love to continue working with you guys and the new ownership and whatever, but perhaps this is the um, time for me to do something a bit different and change, you know, change my working life. And so I set up Tracer, which um, is a shopper insight business. And I did that in 2000. So it was incorporated on the 11th of January, 2019. So the first year went really well. And then of course, <laughs> the second year came along and it was like, whoa, what happened then? Oh, wow. But to be honest, I think what, what happened in the research industry is, as in many other industries, is, is people just stopped stock still for a few months. People sat on their hands wondering what was going to happen. You know, if you, if you cast your back, mind back to March, April last year, we were being told that this would all be over and done with by the summer. So people felt reasonably relaxed about kind of stopping things um, from a business point of view for a few months. And then what we've seen is people have realized, obviously, that this is not just something that's going to be over and done with within a matter of weeks or a few months, that this is going to be with us for some time. And therefore, we've all had to pivot and um, change our way of thinking about the world around us. And 
marketeers and business owners decided that um, actually we've got to keep on going. And suddenly the research industry um, had the life breathed back into it. So for me, the first half of the year was a bit scary thinking, you know, I've just set up this new business and it's possibly the most challenging business environment for years and years and years. And then things have sprung back, if I'm honest, because we've all changed how we shop. We've all changed how we look at the world around us, how we respond to the world around us. And as retailers and brand owners, they need to understand that new modus operandi that we have in order to actually fulfill what we want from them in the times to come. Definitely. Yeah, it's been fine. But working from home, to your original point for me, has been something that I've done for a while. So I've been very fortunate there that I was already pretty used to it, to be honest. I haven't had to make that big change that a lot of professional people have had to make. Yeah, not not just the people, but the organisations themselves have had have had to completely adjust to this new digital world. Uh, just for some just for some context, Jana, would you be able to tell us briefly what it is that Tracy Insights do, just for our audience? Um, Yeah, so we are a research, market research and insights consultancy, and we specialise primarily in in shopper work, but we do do consumer work as well. But basically, we provide bespoke um, research for clients, you know, across sectors, FMCG, DIY, any number of retail sectors, I've done work for drugs companies sort of BWS, you know, sort of very, very broad base of clients across a number of different sectors who typically want to know how to how to influence shoppers, how to meet their needs in the first place, understanding therefore what their needs are, understanding their behaviours as well. How do they go about the journey from trigger through transaction and what are the influence points that can be tweaked if you like along that journey for the benefit of of the brand owners and the retailers so somebody will typically come to me and say you know we need to understand this about our shoppers or we need to it might be an exploratory piece um, which would be you know understand the purchase journey for example or it could be that somebody's come up with a piece of activation that they want to know whether that works for the shoppers so it could be a developmental or or a an evaluative piece, as I call it. So we will test different things with normal members of the population that we pick out of, you know, sort of we recruit to take part in in, in our research, you know, according to who the target market for that particular client is. And that could be any type of research. It could be online surveys. In normal times, a lot of the work that I do is actually in situ, in context, in the stores or okay. at the company people onto the website because it's really important to do the research that you do as close as possible to the context of the natural behavior that would occur it can be group discussions it can be giving people apps to sort of record their normal day-to-day life and tell you all about it and you act as a little bit snoopy person in the background watching all of this happening and <laughs> interpreting what it means um, eye tracking so you know that's really fascinating stuff around you know understanding our non-conscious behavior so how we actually behave visually when we're presented with a shelf or a website and what, you know, what that can tell us about how that shelf or website could be redesigned and redeployed to better meet shoppers' needs and better sell and so on. whole number of things that that we do. One of the key bits about Tracer is, is that we are a small but agile company and we are very strongly connected to a much wider network of experts. 
And this means that I can basically pick and choose the team that I work with, depending on the nature of the brief that I get. So I've got a wide network of of people that I work with. And one of the um, strongest connections that I have is I'm also a partner with a behavioral science company called Decode. Decode are a German company originally, but um, a chap called Phil Barden set up the UK arm of the business. And um, he's written one of the seminal books on behavioral science, particularly in relation to decision making, decision science called Decoded, the science behind why we buy. And I've been fortunate enough to be able to form a relationship with them. And I work with Phil, bringing my shopper expertise into their business, and they help me bring their behavioral science expertise in, in into what I do. So, so that's kind of a little bit of a description of what we do here at Tracer. Hmm. So, so um, retailers will approach you. They will ask you to help them provide more value to their shoppers. That's super interesting. How, how from your from your perspective, then, how are we responding as shoppers, as consumers, to this whole COVID situation? Because so much is changing. Well, yes. Well, that, 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 that I think is the crux of the whole thing. What you've just said there is that so much is changing. And um, we talk a lot about behavior and behavior doesn't sort of doesn't sort of exist in a vacuum. And um, the context around us is, is changing massively, as, as you're both well aware of. And, and we all are. Um, and the other thing about the situation is that it's very fluid as well. So when that context changes in a very fluid nature, so does our response to it. And we talked earlier um, before we started recording about what happened just this very last Saturday. So all of a sudden, you know, sort of something like 70% of the population has got a whole new raft of, of new rules and restrictions that they have to adhere to. And, and one of the things that happens, of course, is, is in situations like this, you, you get these sort of forced behavioural changes. So in terms of how we're responding, that response isn't to- always totally under our control. Um, some of it is forced upon us. So particularly if you're in tier four, uh, if you're anywhere in Wales and if you're in Northern Ireland and Scotland as of Boxing Day and no doubt England will follow, non-essential retail is going to shut down again. Um, and that means that we can't go shopping even if we want to. So that kind of forced contextual change means that our behaviour will have to change as well. And of course, what we've seen um, as a result of that in very broad terms is that um, online retailing has massively taken off over the course of the last sort of 10 to 12 months or so. Um, if shops aren't open, we can't shop in them. The other thing as well is that you can't shop, go shopping without a mask these days. And, you know, so we might touch on that a bit later, but we're all wearing masks now. If we feel compelled to behave responsibly by distancing ourselves from people in different shops, so we actually navigate our way around shops in a very different way we go to different channels to get what we need all of these are kind of forced changes that we have to make and i think i was i was looking at the ons earlier actually and i think retail sales share of retail sales going off the internet was 36 percent in november this year that's a third of sales and that's comparing to the fifth um, in November last year, I mean, it always peaks around Christmas, don't get yeah. me wrong, but from 20% last year to 36% Yeah, that's year. quite scary. Yeah, no, I was chatting to someone actually the other day, um, kind of kind of company actually, I imagine you probably get involved in there, a manufacturer of point of sale, and but, but premium kind of point of sale and unique displays. Um, and he was saying, very good point, 
the just like just as you're saying there, the behaviour of people has changed, but also a lot of people are now feeling this is his opinion, so I might <laughs> might need research that what is the point in going into some stores because some stores are struggling. They're therefore not got a lot of stock because they don't want to buy a lot of stock because they haven't got the financial. So even when you do mission out, they probably haven't got what you wanted anyway. And one of the things he, we, we spoke about actually, um, and I don't want to kind of dart around here a little bit, was we spoke about Debenhams and how Debenhams have actually gone, obviously gone under. And he spoke about one of the reasons why that is, is Debenhams never changed their model and they decided to have all the different choice, but therefore they didn't have all the sizes in stock and they didn't change the point of sale and they didn't react quick enough to buyer behavior. Would, would you agree with that? Do you think that's, do you think he's right in saying that? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, far be it for me to criticize businesses that have, have gone into unfortunate demises, but I, I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with much of what you've just said there. I think Debenhams, to be fair, were in trouble before the pandemic hit. As is always the case, you know, in these sorts of situations, we saw it in the last financial crisis. It's always those businesses that are already struggling that will fall by the wayside first. So it's no surprise that Debenhams fell over, you know, sort of at the point that it did only a couple of months ago. Yeah, they, they just simply haven't kept up with the times, you know, and it's not just a lot of people will talk about things like, you know, their their online strategy wasn't good enough and, and, you know, revert everything back to sort of online. Keep, you know, sort of shopping isn't just about what happens online. Yes, no. of course, we've seen that, you know, sort of, you know, people have moved online in their droves. People will move back once we're able to. Absolutely. But what they didn't do in the offline world, in physical retailing, is to actually really take account of the new world order that they were in. And online was here. And they needed to account for that. Different levels of competition were here. Shoppers wanted different things from the from the retail spaces that they were going into. And they simply just didn't sort of keep a pace of all of that. And, you know, you can't put it all down to online because Primark no. wouldn't be here, you know. No, of course. No, I, I, exactly. Yeah, I know, I know that you weren't. But I think, you know, th th there's a level of engagement um, that people want when they go into a store. They want... Shopping nowadays, you go out shopping in order to experience something. It's part of your leisure activity. It's not just a transactional functional experience anymore. You can do that online. You know, you don't you don't need to go out shopping just to get a transactional functional experience. And retailers that don't deliver above and beyond that transactional functional experience are, are really going to carry on yeah. suffering. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually work. I worked in retail for about ten years, and I've worked for multiple brands. Some have been very successful. Some actually are no longer here. And one of the brands that is no longer here was actually a company called Phones for You, which I don't know if you remember. Yeah. And they absolutely did exactly what you're saying. They looked at, at customers as a transaction. They started putting targets above customer experience and customer service, and it crippled them because very quick, quickly they people realised that it was just about the deal. It was nothing to do with customer service. It was nothing about returning customers. And ultimately, people could get a better experience or a cheaper experience, I suppose, online. So if you weren't going to get a good customer experience in store, yeah. why would you bother going to that, that store? I've read a lot recently online. I have a, you know, things like my LinkedIn network is all generally people in retail. And I've seen quite a few posts where people have put brick and mortar is dead. And I think what you've just said there is absolutely right. There's no way it's dead because why would Primark be doing so well? Why would Lidl and Aldi be doing so well? So, well, it's just about getting the kind of mixture right for what you're in, I suppose.
Yeah, absolutely is. And, uh, you know, more to the point, why would Amazon, you know, the biggest online retailer, well, in fact, the biggest retailer in the world of any kind, um, why would they be playing around with bricks and mortar if they yeah. thought that, that, that bricks and mortar was dead? It just simply isn't. But it will have to be different. You know, the nature of our high streets will have to be different, what the content is, what the mix of retailers and services is. You know, we, we always evolve, don't we? It looks different now to what it looked like 50 yeah. years ago and it will look different again in another 50 and that, years that's funny enough when you spoke about Debenhams I really don't want to say too much about them because obviously it's, it is very sad for people that work there but I actually went to a Debenhams store a week ago it's obviously closed down but when I walked around it it hadn't evolved it looked the same as if I was going shopping in Debenhams 20 years ago with my mum obviously it's new brands but the experience itself hadn't changed there was no new amazing point of sale there was even the layout of the store to me was identical to when I went there a long time ago. So, yeah, failing to evolve. Yeah. Connotations of are you being served, I think, is... Yeah. Uh, perhaps... yeah. Louis might not have seen that. Louis, have you ever seen that? But if you compare that to Selfridges, for example, yeah. you know, they're just worlds apart, absolutely worlds apart. And, of course, the Selfridges model cannot be replicated on every high street and, and not everybody has the same amount of space not everybody has the same brands and so on you know they're, they're two quite different businesses but they are two department store businesses and just worlds apart look at john lewis i mean john lewis don't necessarily aren't doing as well as they have been there's you know some tweaking that apparently is needed there but i have to say you know sort of john lewis is always held up as one of the most um, enjoyable pleasurable places to shop by people that we talk to when we're you know going back by our working lives researching shopping basically you know but it but again even for them you know the mix the omni-channel mix if you like of how they serve their customers um will have to become different and 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 they're on top of it some some of these other characters just haven't kept abreast of how their customers are evolving and what they're doing and what they want completely agree completely agree I've seen, um, you mentioned there about channels. I think you mentioned there about omni-channels. I've just seen a post from uh, PC World, Cur- you know, Curry's, Dixon's, that kind of group. And I've actually yeah. used it myself. And I also have seen Hewlett Packard have done it as well, where I've gone on their website. And within seconds, you've got your little web chat that pops up. And it's not actually a bot. It's a human. <laughs> and it's a human that's a, that can do video and speak to someone in store. So that's actually connecting in-store staff with online experience. See, that was actually regarding a printer for my dad because uh, he was moaning his printer had gone. And the great thing about being connected to a real human, and I don't want to bore people with this, but this is how good using the channel can be, is my dad, typical my dad, he'd bought about three years worth of print cartridges, <laughs> but his printer's died, wants to buy a new printer. I wanted to know which ones um, would fit that. And the guy on the other end is away, chapping away, and he finds a printer that actually fits my dad's you know, 10 years worth of cartridges. And then my dad drives down and collects it, which I thought was great. Really good idea. Yeah, that's perfect. And and, and I think, you know, sort of the whole issue around, we talk about online versus um, physical, don't we? And, I, and I've just fallen into that trap myself. And, and actually, increasingly, it is how they work symbiotically together that's important. And the retailers of the future will will get that right because we want to interact, you know, our our lives are such that, you know, we're not always in a position to buy, but we are in a position to research. 
Sure. We're not always in a position to be in the right place at the right time to do what we want to do, but we'd still quite like to do it. Thank you very much, because actually we're very busy. So the people that can enable us to get through from trigger through transaction in a seamless way and with human contact is so important. I mean, blindly, we all know how much we value human contact. Oh, definitely. After the last nine months. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's brilliant because and I think because people otherwise they they, they do. There is a slight disjoint, even if you've got a chatbot, you know, you know that you're not going to get anything out of it because your query is something unique. And this AI thing in the corner is not really going to get it. And you soon find out that it's not got it because it keeps coming back with stop response. That's great for certain categories and that's great for certain services. But the more human contact, the better. But actually having that seamlessness through them and also for retailers to recognize that different channels have different functions and they're not silos as well. So you mentioned a mobile phone company there just now. And um, I worked for another one a few years ago who were hell bent on keeping them as independent silos and did not understand the idea that what you might do online might benefit a store based sale. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so it ended up with their retail estate, you know, slowly being decommissioned effectively yeah. because the sales weren't going through the, the retail. They were going through online. But what our research was telling them was basically a lot of those online sales are off the back of a store visit. Yeah. A lot of people will not buy online unless, unless they've been able to sit down with somebody that can advise them, that can tell them what to do, particularly in complex categories, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you're, going to, if you're going to buy a mobile phone, for example, and you're going to have it on like a three-year contract or a two-year contract, then you want to get hold of the thing probably first, don't you? You want to see it. Yeah, exactly. The big investment, you carry it everywhere. It's probably more important than your purse or your wallet now. <laughs> I believe there's also an element of um, social proof that comes with going into a physical store that you don't get online. And I know there's there's behavioral theories on this, Yana. Maybe you can um, tell us briefly about how these theories relate to what's going on with COVID and digital transformation. Yeah, um, I think social proof is something that can happen on and offline, actually. But um, it's that there are a lot of, of biases that we have as human beings, you know, cognitive biases, they're called, that we tend to employ to actually make our journey through life a little bit easier. So we don't have to make decisions about every single tiny tiny thing in our lives that that you know from the point at which we wake up to the point at which we go back to bed again and some of these biases are there to help us navigate and to help us almost answer easier questions than the more difficult ones that we're presented with so you mentioned social proof there and you know somebody might be presented whether it's online or offline with you know do I buy this one or do I buy that one that's quite a tough question to answer sometimes, particularly if you don't know too much about what you're buying. You know, so if I, you know, you mentioned printers there. I need to buy a printer because mine is on its last day. I know nothing about printers. So social proof would help me if I knew that this was the top selling print, um, printer or if I knew that 45 people had bought this particular printer last week. Because what we tend to do as humans is we tend to defer to defer our, our, our own decisions to what other people have done. So if those guys have done it, it's got to be right, right? So that's kind of how, how social proof can work. And I think particularly at this time when we're all feeling 
really quite anxious and uncertain. So the, one of the biggest behavioural or, or sort of psychological, I should say, impacts of this pandemic on all of us is that we've all been faced with a very, very uncertain future on big seismic things like our health, like our finances, like everything else. But that that uncertainty forms a, a kind of a psychological backdrop that creates uncertainty in everything else that we do, even the smallest of, of you know shopping decisions or buying decisions can feel like quite hard work at the time. So things like social proof can help us with that. We don't do uncertainty very well. It, it, it's sort of kind of uncertainty is danger to us. And it means that we end up feeling, you know, there's this underlying feeling of stress and anxiety. You may not feel it consciously day to day, but it's kind of there. So reducing that uncertainty for our shoppers is something that is so important for retailers to do. So something like social proof um, is is absolutely key. Definitely, yeah. The other one of those is something like authority bias. You know, we do tend to defer to people that we believe are experts in their own field. So having somebody you know having Jamie Oliver perhaps you know sort of saying yeah buy that but you know buy that packet of food whatever it may be rather than that packet of food is likely to push us towards the packet of food that he's endorsing because we believe that he has authority in that area and there's thousands of other examples absolutely so yeah that's really important definitely so uh, a previous guest we had on was a CX researcher he spoke about the idea of we often with with digital we're often trying to get the best out of human shopping physical shopping and try and blend that with online using like we spoke about video channels and actual human uh, chat instead of chatbots but there is a other other hand to this where you use technology to improve the physical experience now he he came up with the idea of using qr codes in store to okay. allow customers to access customer reviews of the certain product which is something that's lacking in store, and it's. I thought it was a great idea, great idea to provide customers with social proof that they would have shopping on Amazon. Yeah, and and you know, so I, th- I think the other thing, like like you say, with Amazon, that, that that you have that endorsement coming through from other people like you as well when you see all the customer reviews. So if you can access that in store, and, and I, I hate this word with a vengeance, but it's you know people use the word digital. I, I don't like digital, digital, digital. Yeah. Oh, I, d- I don't know why I don't like it. it just no, I don't like people. it either. What does it mean? You might you might have to fill me in on what that means because I've never heard that word. <laughs> digital is what you've just described in terms of bringing digital tech into sort of physical retail, if you like. Mm. So um, Lush do this really well. They've got their Lush lens and within their Lush lens, there's an app where you can go and scan products in store and it will come up with all of the different bits of information about that product so particularly in covid times when people perhaps don't want to be so tactile in their shopping they don't want to pick things up and so on so 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 it goes both ways and and, you know another example in fashion for example you know you can't try clothes on yeah so using augmented reality so that people can actually, you know, apps, apps you know, there are augmented reality apps in, in development and, and, and in certain, to a certain extent in use where you can actually see what you would look like. In yeah, there's a lot of makeup brands, not that I know this personally, but particularly yeah. things like lipsticks and, st- and things like that, yeah. Louis, that you, you'd obviously know about, <laughs> where you, you are. 
you upload a selfie and it will work out, for example, which skin shade will match you yeah. for your foundation shades because you can't physically go into a store and try them. Cosmetics is another one because obviously they've had to take all the testers out and all of that sort of thing. Yeah. And you know, this sort of technology, this is where good things come out of bad things because yeah. this sort of technology is fantastic. I think L'Oreal have, have, have got an app like this um, where that's the sort of thing that will carry on into the future and reduce 100%. costs. People don't have to produce these testers anymore. You know, as, lo as long as what you see is actually a true reflection of what yeah. you are get you know sort of sometimes these things can go horribly wrong we, we've had apps like this in in the sphere of like home decor for for some time you know so julux have got this visualizer app where you can download oh, a photo of your room and put different colored paints and sometimes you know the color of the paint because of the sort of pixels i don't understand the sort of science of it but you know what a paint colour might look like on your laptop screen might not be what it looks like yep. when it lands on your wall. But if they can get that sort of tech right, then the actual idea behind that technology is just brilliant because it just eases and reduces friction in the process. And reducing friction is just so important. Yeah. To get Okay, that leads perfectly into my final question that I ask all of our guests. So in terms of improving the customer experience and everything we've spoken about today, optimizing the digital and the physical in-store experience. What recommendations do you have for retail decision makers? Hmm. Well, I, I think the response to what I'm about to say is going to be, well, you would say that, wouldn't you? But <laughs> what I would say is just keep very, very close to your customers and to your potential customers because things are changing apace. And what was true last month is very very unlikely to be true in six months time so it's about making sure that you're on top of you know what your customers and your shoppers need and want from you um so that you can deliver that in a way that makes sense for them but also makes sense for your business and of course you know we none of us knew last you know a week ago saturday that what was going to be what was going to be announced this saturday so it can be very tricky to understand what's what's around the corner but it's all about sort of sitting down and thinking, what are the plausible futures? What what could potentially be happening? And, and, and keeping one foot ahead of the game in that way. And the only way really to do that is to is to keep close to your customers. Let them co-create the future with you and, 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 and be prepared to be adaptable. Because as I say, you know, what's true today um, and what works today is, is, is perhaps not going to be the best thing for your business or for your shoppers. Um, in six months time and, and it's it's it is about sort of it's not just about doing lots and lots of research and spending lots and lots of money it's about understanding you know and thinking about who we are as as human beings and thinking about what might happen and, and ideating into the future you know people have made tons of money out of this because they've suddenly thought my goodness it's going to be winter soon probably we're all going to be told that we can't, you know, congregate inside like we normally do. So those businesses that have been selling garden heaters and fire pits have made a ton of money, you know, and here we all are buying them. And I know that's a bit of an odd example, but it's it's about sort of kind of trying to predict the plausible futures, trying to understand how your customers and your shoppers will respond to that by keeping close to them and, and being agile. Absolutely. That's a perfect point to finish on. It's about 
communicating with your customers and staying agile, definitely. enjoyed the episode for those of you who did don't forget to subscribe like share or comment for more information about yona's work visit her website www.tracerinsights.com and we'll see you in our next episode